When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. As always, we're joined by our super producer, uh, Tristan the Red McNeil. The Red? Yeah. Really? The well, Red? I, I don't know. It sounds um, dramatic. Maybe it does. It does. Um, I don't have one right off the top of my head, okay, but we'll, maybe... Uh, we'll find one. Yeah, maybe. So, long-time listeners, you, you know this already, ladies and gentlemen. In every episode, Scott and I endeavor to, uh, to give our super producer... Uh, a nickname, yeah. oh, along with our editor Dylan Fagan, and we try to be clever about it. Try to try. We doesn't make always, a we man, make an attempt. Doesn't always work. Yeah. It doesn't always work. Usually related to the episode, you know, mostly related to the episode. So we'll try during the end of this one, or by the end of this one, mm-hmm. rather, uh, to come up with something that's a little bit more fitting, maybe. Yeah, and if you think of one in the course of this, go ahead and drop us a line somewhere via the internet, or you know, you could send a pigeon or a smoke signal. However you get the word out to people. Carrier pigeon, really? Yeah. Or you could send a truck <laughs> yeah. across the Arctic waste. Hey, why not? I mean, it's I guess it's the end of the season, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a great time to do it. But uh, if you are so inclined, you could drive a truck across an ice road and deliver that message. And that is the subject of today's episode, inspired by our uh, friend of the show, uh, who you've heard from before, Rudy Smith. Yeah, Rudy wrote in, and uh, actually it wasn't even really a suggestion for a show, I don't think. I don't know uh, who it was. It was just kind of an, a link to an article, which uh-huh. is of interest, and it was of interest, by the way. I mean, obviously, we both decided that this would make a good topic. So uh, he sent in, an, an, uh, I think it's called BoardPanda.com, uh-huh. has an article that's, that's called, and this is a long title, how we tried to deliver 12 tons of food to Siberia's Arctic North. And uh, I thought, well, that's an interesting headline. Let me click sure. on the link and see what it says. And it's all about ice road trucking in Siberia's Arctic North. And it's fascinating. I mean, the article, I, this is one that I, I 
honestly, I recommend you look look at it. It's not going to take you more than five minutes to read it because it's very light on text. Right. But it's heavy on pictures. And the pictures are really, really interesting because it gives you a good um, a, a good grasp of what these guys are up against daily on this on this road. And this is just one of many, many roads. And we're, we'll talk about lots of different roads and where they are and some of the lengths and some of the requirements and things like that along the way. But mm-hmm. I think just in general, ice roads are really a fascinating thing. They're a seasonal thing, of right. course. And we're at the end of that right now. So, um, you know, keep this in your back pocket until next fall, maybe, the end of fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you can head out and hit one of the ice roads that are out there because that's far more than I, I ever expected. This is way more common than a lot of people might imagine. So let's let's define the term first. An ice road is, obviously, it's what it sounds like, but there's a little more to it. It's also known as an ice bridge because what we're describing is actually part of a system called a winter road. Yeah, and Ben, it, just one quick thing before we uh, before we progress to exactly what they are and you know define them and everything. Um, a lot of people will be familiar with this from the show Ice Road Truckers that, that's on A and E on yeah. the History. Oh, I guess the History Channel that, that's owned by A and E, maybe. Um, but it's ten seasons in at this point, so there are a lot of you know characters that have uh, you know people have come to know and love on that show. And it's just a, a way, again, I don't know if you've mentioned this already or not. I can't remember now because uh, I've channeled this off somewhere else. But it's a way to deliver goods that uh, would be more expensive to fly into certain regions when conditions are so harsh or uh, it's just such a remote location that that's right. normally how they handle things. This is an easier way to do it, really, believe it or not. So there are ice roads, seasonal ice roads, uh as we said, across the planet, there are some in the United States, Sweden, Russia, Norway, Finland, China, Canada, of course, Estonia, and, spoiler alert, Antarctica. Yeah, and get this. I had no idea that in the United States there's something like, I think there are about five documented ice roads. There's probably more than that, you know, these, uh, I guess... You know, um, what we call them, not, uh, not, not authorized. I don't know how to. Sure, unofficial? Yeah, unofficial. That's a better way to say it. Uh, unofficial ice roads, probably, but there are five official ice roads in the United States. There's almost 125 miles of ice road that appear and then disappear every season just within the United States. Outside of there, there's many, many more. I mean, when you get into yeah. the, the Siberian region, you get into, uh, you know, trade between Russia and China, and there's a lot of that apparently on ice roads. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, these roads are sometimes hundreds of miles long, uh, hundreds of miles long. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they have to be because, as you said, Scott, they're the best way to provide crucial, vital goods, um, not just survival supplies like food, um, but also food and clothing. For example, mm-hmm. but also construction materials, right? Yeah, doesn't it seem a little bit counterintuitive that you've got such a heavy object that it would be hard to fly it there, right? Or expensive to fly it there, sure. You know, wherever that may be. Yeah. Let's say it's an island, or it's a, uh, you know, it's just a, uh, a remote town that you know to take the roads that go there. You know, the normal summer roads would mm-hmm. be more difficult than than to do this because, um, oh boy, I'm getting off on, off track, but. Um, it would be many more days travel to take the the regular roads because of the conditions, you know, the, the road conditions, yeah. versus on an ice road, which actually the conditions are better. But it seems counterintuitive to me, Ben, that you would ship something so heavy on ice that uh, that you know it's it's uh, um, you know otherwise uh, too expensive or too heavy to ship by air. You know, it's just too too cost uh, too, too too expensive rather. Yeah. Um, it seems strange that you would head out on the ice with a truck, a, a, you know, a ten ton truck or whatever it is. And, uh, and and expect that to work. But it does. It works in a lot of regions because the ice gets so, so thick. 
Right. Yeah, we're talking about uh, we're talking about areas of the world where the temperature will routinely be below zero. Yeah. Like that. So so freezing temperature is what thirty two degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So in areas like the the border between China and Russia, uh, in January there's an average of negative four to negative thirteen degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh, man, that stuff cold. is. Ice cold. Yeah, it's huh? uh, it's a uh, nice, <laughs> nice, nice work. Yeah, it's uh, it, it becomes very, very thick, and we've probably all experienced this or seen this. I, mm-hmm. I guess maybe you know, if ice fishermen head out on the lake. Yeah, uh, they take snowmobiles with them. Have you? Uh, I guess I have a question for you, Ben. Yeah. Have you ever driven a car on the ice to uh, to ice fish or anything like that? I I know the area that you're from, so likely not. I have not. But, uh, I have. N- I've never done it either, and I've never had the guts to do it. I mean, I've been in areas that it's thick enough to, and I've seen it done. Mm-hmm. I've been. I've been ice fishing, which is a crazy sport. By That's the way. so cool. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It can be fun. Were it, you it in one of those be, little shacks with the hole cut? You know, I've been in that one time. The other times, it's just sitting out on the ice on a bucket, and it's it's can be miserable. It really can. Yeah. It can be nice. You know, a lot of solitude out there, but it can also be miserable. But if you're in one of these areas that has uh, these towns that kind of spring up overnight on the ice, and they uh-huh. do, they have these incredible shanties that have, you know, wood wood fire stoves and, um, you know, the modern modern devices, I guess, inside shanties. GPS, that are, radio. Well, that are drug out there under the ice, yeah, and they've got, you know, fish finders and all kinds of stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, lots of equipment, couches to sit on. It's, it's actually pretty comfortable. Uh, it gets warm inside those things, and they drive their trucks out there, and they park them right next to the shanty. But it's not just like one truck and one, you know, one shanty. Mm-hmm. It's an entire, uh, almost like a village of people that go out and and they set up this camp, almost like a. And I see, keep saying a town. It's like a pop up town that appears. Okay. So there's hundreds of people, hundreds of shanties, or maybe you know under a hundred shanties, but somewhere around there, lots of trucks, and they are completely trusting that that ice is thick enough to hold them up, and and. In a lot of, I mean, of course it is. You know, they they check the depth and they know what it'll hold, and I'm sure that they're they're conscientious of not parking immediately next to each other. You know, so there's not too many trucks in one area that just sit for too long. Right. Uh, there's some spacing that that takes place, and they understand that. Uh, but I, I just this is so foreign to me to see a a huge. I mean, sometimes it's semi trucks that are traveling right. on these roads with loads that are you know ten, eleven, twelve tons. Uh, in addition to the weight of the truck, it's it's crazy. It's just uh, it, it seems like it shouldn't be able to happen that way. Right. So the strange thing is, though, that it does. And going back to our original distinction here, which a lot of people don't make, uh, the winter road is just snow packed over land. Mm-hmm. Um, an ice road could be a part of that, and it runs over a river or a lake. Or bay, and the the way that they build these things is um, fascinating. Yeah, and I agree. It's a very it's a very foreign concept to me as well. Now you've you've spent more time in northern climes than I have, but I'm gonna guess. I looked into this a little bit, but I'm gonna guess uh, even up in Michigan, it's a little too warm for an actual ice road. 
Ah, boy. You know, it seems like it might work at, at, for a very short amount of time. Uh-huh. But if you get to the northern part of Michigan. Right, uh, at, right at the mitten? Uh, at the yeah, tip. like the very tip, like by the UP, the Upper uh-huh. Peninsula. Uh, I think there's actually a, a nice road that operates for, it's a couple, I think it's a couple of miles between no way. the Mackinac Straits and one of the islands up there. And it's maybe a couple miles long, but normally it has, um, you know, like a ferry service that goes between the two mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, good supplies, whatever, between you know, from the mainland to the island. And uh, I think this is good for, you know, just a few months out of the year, maybe. It's not quite, you know, the, the lengthy season that maybe you might get in Siberia or some, some region mm-hmm. like that. Um, but... It is something that's uh, that's functional for several months out of the year, and they get their their goods and materials that way. And I, I would suppose that people make the crossing as well, you know, the same way, you know, across yeah. the same road, because it's not just you know big trucks that we're talking about. It's also cars, it's snowmobiles, it's any kind of uh, vehicle that you want to cross this road. Because I mean, obviously, the bigger ones are the more dangerous ones, um, you know, based on the conditions. But they have some tricks around this too, Ben. There's a um, there's a way that they make the ice. In the ice road channel, because they, they clear a pathway, of course, and so you're driving on um, essentially like what's smooth, clean ice, really. Yeah. Uh, with you know, I mean, it's it's lake ice, so it's a little bit rough. But um, compared to the, the the roads in the region, or the, you know, the, sometimes you know, if there isn't like the, in this case, where you know, to get back and forth from the island. Right. But if you're talking about like getting to a distant village or or something like that, a lot of times the ice road will be a far superior road to the to the. Uh, the pavement road or the the gravel road or dirt road mm-hmm. or whatever you're trying to travel because mm-hmm. of weather conditions. And, and this becomes a, a a better driving surface really for you because you have tree you don't have any trees rather you have you don't have any rocks, you don't have any other obstacles. it's just a straight drive. the The hard part about it is, of course, understanding that you know you got to keep moving, you got to watch out for holes in the ice, you got to watch out for um, <laughs> bandits in a lot of cases. Ice bandits. That's, yeah, that's something we'll talk about. But um, <laughs> the, the road construction itself, and I started to get to this, and I, I got a little bit derailed there, but um, this is really weird. I had never thought of these you know, unusual construction techniques for it. Sure. Sometimes they'll auger holes on the side of the road and allow water to flow out onto the surface that they've cleared mm-hmm. in order to in order to thicken the ice in just that one area. So they'll make it wider than you know the truck would be, of course, so wider than the lane. Uh, but they thicken the part of the uh, part of the lake that is uh, supposed to be for just the, the you know the trucking lane, I guess. And it's pretty smart. I mean, they're augering holes in the side, and you don't have to auger a lot of holes in order to get a lot of water to flow out of there. You pump it out, of course. Right. And that stuff freezes so quickly on top, it's faster than it would build up from beneath. I think that's the theory behind the whole mm-hmm. thing. So you can wait for the you know the full hard freeze, or you can kind of rush things along by creating a thicker road surface. And ladies and gentlemen, let us know if you have firsthand experience with an ice road, because the stuff that we're about to explore is going to be unfamiliar to most people, uh, even maybe fans of ice road truckers, but very, very important, especially if you're on the road in these conditions. So when we're talking about how you build an ice road, the most important part, of course, is safety. And ice roads are, make no mistake about it, dangerous. Yeah. No matter how, how, um, cautious the construction crews are i I love that you mentioned the drilling technique um they also go through various types of vehicles in the construction of an ice road so when the ice let's take estonia for an example Uh, in estonia the ice roads can only be built when the ice thickness is at least 
8.7 inches along the entire route. Ah, you know what? One quick thing. These are monitored by road administrations, and that's why the yes. depth and everything is checked by a, a regulating agency of some kind. Yeah, very important point. So so ice depth is really important. Mm-hmm. Ice depth is really important, and when, when uh, that is determined and when you know it meets that threshold typically what they'll do is they'll send out something like an argo that's a uh, a lighter wheeled amphibious atv smart move there if they break through that's okay they climb right out right right and that happens how about one of those sherp vehicles remember that oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that'd be a fantastic use for one of these mm-hmm. in fact you'd, you'd probably have to add extra weight to it you know and maybe make a few crossings just to see if it would uh, would hold up but those things can climb right out of a, a hole that's in the ice it's yeah. really impressive what can't they do uh, they can do everything Could you drive to space in one of those <laughs> yeah i think you can <laughs> let's try it yeah build, uh, build yeah. a ladder so even when from the first step here Literally the first step, the staff wear survival suits and they have flotation uh, devices in there just in case. Because if you fall into the ice in these temperatures, it can be a very quick death. Yeah, it's a death sentence, really. I mean, in a lot of cases, because you're out in these extremely remote locations. I mean, just on its own. Ice roads are there because you're in a remote location. So a lot of times you have to travel long distances to get to where the ice road begins. And then even, you know, the final destination is is far, far more uh, more remote. Days and days away. Even days travel by the ice road in some cases. Right. Because it's a slow go. Right. And they, um, as they're doing this, uh, they are progressively moving to different types of vehicles. So maybe they start with hand drills and augers, like you said, not just to build the road, but also to measure the thickness in the beginning. And then they move up to uh, radar, essentially. They call it an ice profiler. Oh, cool. So like subsurface radar. And then once they determine the thickness, they can start to map out the route, which might change. Uh, might have some variation season to season. Isn't this weird? Like, uh, yeah. so, so the road's different every year, every time you travel it. So, and, and, and not only that, I mean, from crossing to crossing, it's going to be different as well because conditions have changed. You're five days away, you know, in another village. Yeah. You don't know what's happening. There could be a storm, you know, winter storm on one side of the road and not on the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, it's a really bizarre situation. It really is. And oh, there's other tactics that they follow too. Like if they're on rivers, sometimes they'll try to hug the shoreline. Yeah, yeah, drive uh, so, on the bank. So that, you know, uh, for obvious reasons, I mean, it, it's going to be shallower water if they go in. Uh, they only go across the deep part if they have to do that in a lot of cases. So that's like a, you know, river crossings, crossings are a little different than, uh, you know, major bodies of water, you know, when you're trying to cross, a, you know, an enormous lake that's, again, it cut, takes you five days to get across or something because you're just at a crawl, too, aren't you? I mean, the speeds on these are so slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking like some of them are limited by those uh, those agencies we talked about or the, the road administrations. Sure. Some of those, you know, speed limits are, you know, around... You know, like 16 miles an hour or something like that. You know, I mean, they're Which really, really low. Gun in it. That kind of is. I mean, um, and a lot of times they're they're even slower than that. Sometimes they're a little bit, little bit faster. But really, you're never going above about 25 miles an hour. Now, if you are, I think you're probably pushing it. You're probably, you know, taking your own life in your hands. You know, that kind of thing. Because yeah. you're on a, you're on a road covered with ice. I mean, at the end of the day. Yeah, at the end of the day, you're driving on water that happens to be a little bit more friendly at the moment. And if there is a faster speed limit, please write in and tell me, because I've only seen 25 as the maximum on these on the roads that I've read so far. And here's here's another important thing that may be counterintuitive to some people. This would, an ice road, 
should not have snow on it. They don't want a snow road. Yeah. And it's very important. So once they've set the route, they move away from the, the Argo or the Argos to a snowcat or something heavier on some tracks. Mm-hmm. And it has like a plow, mm-hmm. essentially. So it's like what they use on snow slopes or yeah. ski slopes, rather. Yeah. And it's not quite as heavy as, you know, a proper plow truck. But the reason they do this is because they want to remove the snow that's on top of the ice because the snow is an insulator. So the ice firms up much better in a much more consistent, reliable way if it doesn't have the snow covering it. Oh, okay. I get it. So, so it warms it up, actually. It could be warmed prematurely in that case. Is that right? It could. It, it might not freeze as uh, completely. Oh, I see. They want a, they want a solid freeze. Yeah, solid uh, to, sheet. To get, I get you. I understand now. So, yeah, that makes sense that they would start, you know, use a much smaller vehicle than a snowplow to begin with because, right. again, they're they're... Well, they're testing the ice, really. That's uh, yeah. that's what the old saying. <laughs> that's probably not where it comes from, but it fits in this. Ice. It fits in this case, yeah. right? And then the third, the third stage of vehicle is once the ice is thick enough to allow heavy machinery, right? It can handle that distribution of weight. Then that's when you see snow plows and trucks go to work, and then give it a week or two or so, uh, they will open the road. To the public, yeah, with still with constant monitoring, monitoring rather, yeah, they, it has um, to be. you know, uh, ambient temperature as well as you know, uh, you know, the ice thickness is continually measured throughout that time. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of rules and, and safety measures put into place. Yeah, but that's not to say that it's safe because it's constantly changing. Every time a truck drives over that thing, and I didn't really, I, I couldn't fathom this really. I have a hard time picturing this still creates waves underneath the ice as a truck drives over it. And those waves can cause trouble outside of where the road is. It can cause cracks and fissures that, you know, um, that then lead to cracks and fissures that work their way towards the ice road and and cause a lot of trouble. So um, this whole idea that, you know, causing waves under the surface of the ice as it it drives along, you know, causing maybe big, um, you know, sheets of ice to dislodge from the area that, you know, uh, that the ice road is in. Also, a big danger, I guess. I mean, yeah. we hear every year about um, you know a simple simple thing, you know, like ice fishermen go out and it's a little bit too warm, uh, but they still make the trek out there. It seems solid in the area that they're in, and they're out there fishing, and they don't realize that you know a giant chunk of ice has broken off from the main piece, mm-hmm. and they're floating out into the lake. And it seems like it happens every year. The Coast Guard has to go out and rescue these guys, or you know, um, or um, Maybe they don't have, you know, a boat because they recommend, you know, at certain times of the year that you take something along with you, like a boat that you can then get into and, and make your way back to the main part of the ice or the mainland attached part of the ice. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people don't do that and they find themselves adrift. And that's that's a real serious situation. Yes. And because the chunk that breaks off can be so large, you might not realize that you're, you know, floating away. Well, I suppose that can happen in this case, but it seems like what would be more likely in this case would be that the trucks would break through the ice. And that does happen. That is something in the um, in the article, which uh, we'll, we'll post on social media, too, so you can check it out for yourself yeah. and see these amazing pictures. Uh, in, in the article, uh, there is a photographer who rides with two truck drivers, and they're transporting 12 tons of food. And they're, they're going on an ice road to the two drivers. This is like a every year thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're cramped conditions. It's a brutal environment. So they essentially, the three of them have to 
eat, sleep, and work in this cab designed for two people. This is not an extended bed or extended cab. No, no, no. And you know what? I think we'll tell you a little bit more about this after this first break. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, and Ben, we're going to kind of track through or trek through this uh, this article a bit. I don't recommend that you print it because it's picture heavy. Uh, as I said, it's you know only got a little bit of text to it, but it, it introduces the people, the materials, the you know the the vehicles, yeah, um, some of the the strange characters along the way, the route, all of that. It is really an interesting article. It's the one we mentioned at the head, you know, the uh, the twelve tons of food to Siberia, Siberia's 
Arctic North. I'm having a trouble. I have a little trouble with the word Siberia today. I don't know what's going on. Siberia. Siberia. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it by the end of the podcast, I hope. <laughs> but um, there's all kinds of just crazy stuff that happens along the way. I mean, you said that they're they're pretty much crammed in this truck, and uh, that be, that situation is a little bit exasper- exacerbated by yes. the end because initially there are two people. And, you know, it's still, it's already cramped enough. And, you know, they're trying to do everything in there. They're trying to sleep. They're trying to eat. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to, uh, you know, just, well, just even driving itself. I mean, it's difficult because he's, one guy's Russian. The other guy is not Russian. One, one guy yeah. is, uh, US, he's a U.S. citizen, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Let's, and, let's set the scene. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, oh, oh we've got, we'll, we'll set the scene. So Amos Chapel, that's the name of the author. Okay says, uh, for 10 days and nights, I rode with uh, a driver named Ruslan and his young helper along the Indigirka River to deliver 12 tons of food to a town called Belaya Gora, mm-hmm. yeah. which sounds like something out of a fantasy novel. Well, well it does, but when you, what you just said there, that's a 10-day trip, so that's five days there, five days back, because they don't waste any time when they're there. They turn around and come right back, because... Time is money in this situ- situation right. because he wants to make as many runs as possible. So, mm-hmm. the, the the trip that is outlined by is it Anton? You said uh, um, Amos. Amos. Yeah. Uh, by by Amos, he is uh, he is he's pretty freaked out through the whole thing. Really. Yeah. I mean, it's scary. It's not something. And and, and I guess the uh, the guys that normally drive this uh, drive this. I think his name is Ruslan. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is the main character in this whole thing, and uh, he's pretty much he's stone cold on this whole thing you know he's uh he's just he's, he's got icy nerves maybe that's he's the way one to put cool it. customer how many <laughs> how many more ice puns can i get in here but um <laughs> the guy no honestly the guy has seen just about everything so he just kind of rolls with it you know and mm-hmm. oh, there's another one <laughs> i know oh anyway sorry you're on fire so, so he rolls with it right yeah and uh and the other guy he's a little bit unnerved by the whole situation because first you're driving on ice with a 12 ton truck Mm-hmm. Second is you're in such desolate regions. He doesn't know what to expect. You know, it's dangerous. He's with a guy that doesn't speak the same language he does. But I think there's, you know, minimal communication between sure. the two of them. That's true. It's an assignment. And then, and then, you know, add to the fact that there's this third person sitting there. Because ideally, when you're driving in this kind of condition, you want to use, as corny as it sounds, you want to use the buddy system. You want to have a second person minimum with you. So this... Area just to give everybody a picture of this, this area of Russia, the the Sako Republic, is five times the size of France. Yeah, the country of France, it's in five in, times bigger. enormous place, and they very me- desolate. And so they measure distance in days. What's interesting about this journey is about sixty percent of it is on an actual highway, and then the last forty percent, all ice. Yeah. Yeah, on a river, right? A yeah. lot of it is on a river. I don't know about the whole thing. There might be. I'm trying to look for the map right now, but um, yeah, I think a lot of it is on a river because that's where the technique that I had heard about, where they're kind of hugging the coast, happens. Um, in fact, I think maybe the whole thing is on a river. Really, now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but interesting tactics that are used throughout the, the whole way. And one one thing, or more than one thing, we'll get you know to several weird things sure. that happens on this trip but um they were talking to another guy uh, i think his name is andre uh-huh. and andre had you know, it looks like a minivan of some kind maybe a toyota minivan or something yeah and uh he's talking to him no problem they, they he decides to hop in his own car and drives off they go around a corner 
And Andre has flipped his vehicle over several times. It's yeah. destroyed. It's totaled. Now they have to take Andre on the trip with them as well. Ooh. So the cab that was already cramped to begin with, that becomes even more cramped because now he has, has four he has no, people. He has no choice. He's in the middle of nowhere. Right. He has to he has to tag along with them. He knows that he's now got a ten day trip that he's going to have to make. Uh, it, it's just it's a, again. All of this is really, really strange. It's, it seems, so much of it seems counterintuitive to me. It's, it's amazing. And then at the halfway point, so after, after Andre wrecks and they get a new passenger, uh, on their trek towards civilization, yeah. that's when they hit the ice at the halfway point. Yeah. So as they're, as they're driving through, they stop in the road because the driver, Ruslan, sees a truck shaped hole in the ice in front of them. Yeah, what do you think's there? <laughs> you know, it's it, there's a chance that it was pulled out, uh but there's also a chance that it's still it's below the surface there. I and mean, yeah. it could because um you know, one thing that we haven't mentioned here is that on this route alone, something like 5 people die each year, each each winter, each season mm-hmm. on this route that they're on right now. And you know, when they when they're driving and you said it's clear ice, right? They try right. to clear all the uh, the the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. snow off of it. You can see the current in this river moving beneath the ice as you're driving over top of it. Now, how, how unnerving would that be to, to mm-hmm. be able to see that? Because you know it's thick enough to carry this truck, or at least you hope it is. Right. Uh, it's cracked. It's got fissures all over it. But, again, to see the current beneath there, it's it's pretty much black ice, really, when you look at it. Mm-hmm. And there's blue cracks and things. But, um, man, that's got to be scary, and especially first time out. I mean, he's yeah. just not familiar with it. You know, this, this author is not familiar with the lifestyle. So, uh, again, pretty. it seems like... A grim situation, you know, when you see a, a hole a hole in the ice that's shaped like a truck or the size of a truck, you know what happened. And the journalist begins to get uh, get a little nervous and starts doing the what if scenarios, mm-hmm. the worst case scenario kind of stuff in his head. And Ruslan tells tells the guy, you know, if the truck goes down cab first, then you're screwed. And so he's thinking to himself. If the truck goes down on my side, I'm going to jump out. Yeah. And just land on the ice and take my chances. Sure. Because underwater in a crowded cab, it would be nearly impossible to get out because there would be three other dudes struggling. Yeah. And the current of the, you know, the current of the river, you've got a very relatively small hole in the ice where the cab went through, but, uh, you know, maybe there's not even any gap where you can get back out. Um, all this is working against you. Of course, the cold is working against you. Yeah. Uh, everything is against you in and, this situation. And it's not just the cold. Actually, the climate becomes your enemy, too, because this, they're driving toward the end of the season. The oh. spring melt is occurring. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that whole angle to this thing is that uh, this is not you know the first crossing of the year or even in the middle of the year. This is at the end of the season. So ice is a little bit soft in some regions, as we've you know heard about with the uh, you know the the truck shaped hole in the ice and uh, not long after this guy starts to develop his uh, his escape plan yeah you know th- exactly what he feared happens yes the ice shatters under the wheels on the river on his side and so he pops open the door and he jumps out and the truck is toppling and it's uh, and he's scrambling across the ice trying to get away from it and then well the f- can i stop you for a second i'm looking at the photo of that right now and what happened and I don't know what they were thinking when they were crossing this particular part of your uh, this this area yeah. because it's like deep slush ruts uh-huh. that are filled with water and they're in the middle of that and then their truck is on one side like it's tipped over all the way over. Yeah. Why were they even in that area? I guess maybe they had to, but that goes back to the uh, you know the the melt because in the in the prime mm-hmm. season 
that would be frozen solid. So I'm sorry I interrupted, but no, can you no, imagine, perfect. Can you imagine even, even bailing out into that would be miserable. I mean, you, you would be soaking wet and freezing for hours after that. If you made it for hours. If you made it. Now, that's the thing. I guess given a choice, it's better to bail out and be freezing and, and cold for a long time versus dead. They got really lucky, Scott. They were fortunate because the truck held there. Kind of similar to... It, you know what it reminds me of? This happens so often in action movies where there's like a car or a plane that's sort of teetering on the edge of mm-hmm. a cliff and the protagonist has to like slowly redistribute their weight yeah. and jump out at the last second. Yeah. It looks like it's it's hanging that way, about to fall into the water, but somehow these guys who are pros managed to pull the truck out. Yeah, it looks like they were attaching chains to the wheels and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It makes you wonder why they didn't have those on to begin with, but I guess they need them now. So extra traction allowed them to back them back themselves out. And from that point forward, and this is crazy. Nighttime, you know, we're talking Siberia. Right. Freezing cold, even though it's, you know, towards the end of the season, still freezing cold. They are, they are just barely creeping along this, this river with a guy out in front in the headlights with a probe, a metal probe, and he's testing the thickness of the ice as we go along. And then he probes for, you know, several feet, motions the truck forward. They come on, you know, come on up another eight feet or whatever it is, six feet. And then he does that same thing again. And that's how they progress all the way through the night. That's awesome. Yeah, well, it is, but it's also terrifying. I kind of, you know, I'm interested. Yeah? I'm interested. Would you really? I would ride along, but I would not want to drive on it. Well, let me let me pose this to you then, Ben. All right. What, what if this was a, a shorter route that is one that's in the dead of winter, where it's definitely solid? You see big cargo trucks, you see cars, you see snowmobiles, every kind of vehicle on this road. It's a short road. Sure. But you're in a car, yeah. and you need to get, let's say, from that Straits of Mackinac area to that island that we talked about. Mm. Uh, would you drive that? Would you do that? Probably. Yeah. I mean, if, if there were that many people doing it. But, again, what about, like, a situation where those pop-up towns appear, you know, for the, uh, for the ice fishing? Would you, would you park your truck on the ice? Because I, I think I've seen photos of, you know, even though all that's going on, they found a soft spot. Yeah, and, no, and I'm a, not going to. And a truck goes down. I'm not. I'm not trying to congregate with a community of people standing on a lake. So you're saying just keep the Monte Carlo moving and you're fine. Not my style. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to drift through like a stranger in a western film. Well, you probably have a rental car. You would even take the Monte Carlo on the ice. No, I wouldn't no. think so. I don't. I don't think that I would ever risk it. I just. I just don't feel comfortable enough. I've seen too many yeah. even snowmobiles, you know, drop through the ice when you know they had misjudged the thickness. Or mm-hmm. um, I've, ne- I've never seen a person fall through yet. So you hear those uh, cracks? Yeah, I haven't heard that or I haven't seen that. And you know, there's been a lot of I've been to a lot of places where there's pond or lake, you know, um, mm-hmm. skating, but uh, but never any danger. It's always thick enough. And and but but like trucks and things like this, and and where you're probing for the the ice thickness, you know, yeah. to, to move along ten feet at a time. Uh, it's just a, it's a completely different scenario. But they make it through. That was sort of the dark night of the soul for these guys. Yeah. And the the next day, the weather is clear, not a cloud in the sky. The road is rock solid, as they say. They see a tiny, tiny church. Oh, it's, yeah. It's like a phone booth. A little small town. And, and you know, this church, they say it's a church, but 
If you've ever seen that show, Tiny Houses, yeah, it's like the size of a tiny house, but it's a, it's got a giant steeple on the top. Mm-hmm. It's the strangest looking thing with a person standing next to it because it looks completely out of proportion. But uh, again, that's why you know looking at this article is is something interesting because there's so many great photos here. There's probably 40, 45 photos. Yeah, really, a lot of them are spectacular. They're really, really good. But um, I think the guy that um, um, the guy that, that's running this whole thing, Ruslan, the guy yeah. that who's his truck, doesn't he have a he has a, a house or an apartment in this little town? Yeah, he has an apartment in. there. So after five days, four guys stuck in this cab, they got to his. It looks like a tiny one bedroom apartment, but they all get to take a shower, and I imagine just sleeping on a floor where you could stretch all the way out was like. A feather mattress. Yeah, it was magic for them. Yeah, and uh, honestly, like, can you imagine being in a, a tiny cab of a truck with with four guys that are that can't shower, can't change clothes? Uh, it's just you know you're eating, you're you're doing everything inside, you're sleeping in there. That's got to be pretty miserable, really. By the end of the five days. And then they had a, um, they went further up the river. While the journalist stayed behind in town. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And now he crossed out because I was scared, but he says, you know, I wanted to photograph the village. Right, right. So, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't no, think kidding. so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. But, uh, you know, the guys were gone for a long time and, uh, actually more time than he thought they were going to be gone. And he was actually getting kind of worried about them. Yeah. You know, that, they, that they had maybe dropped through the ice, but finally they returned. There's no way to call them, of course, because cell phone coverage in that area is, is sparse, if, you know, at all. Um, but if they returned, and before they left, they offered, uh, you know, um, they gave kind of an offering, I guess, to the the shaman spirits. You know, they've uh-huh. got this kind of, it looks like a tree maybe, yeah. where they tie ribbons and things like that, you know, for a safe passage. Say some prayers. Yeah, yeah. say some prayers before they go and um, talk to some other ice road truckers, you know, that are either, you know, headed one way or the other, and yeah. then head back out on the road. But here's the problem. The road's melting fast now on the way back on that last leg. Yeah. So Ruslan is saying, look, we're going to drive through the night. We have to do this. And uh, the other guy says, all right, I'm going to hang out on the outside of the truck. Amos, yeah. Now, Am- yeah, he decides that he's going to ride on the outside of the He's so scared, he's going to ride hanging onto the outside of the truck. Again, I keep saying this. It's Siberia in the wintertime. I mean, it's the end of the season, and it's warmer, but come on. I mean, that, you've got to be really scared to you know clutch onto the, the tire, right. a, a tire on the back of the truck, or you know hanging on the the, uh, the running boards on the side. But but when I look at this photo that goes along with you know this part of the story mm-hmm. we're in, the ice road has turned into something that looks like a river itself. It's like a river on top of a river. Yes. It, there's there's standing water. There's floating chunks of ice. They're driving through that. Knowing that you know the ice below them is continually eroding, so as they go through the dark, this is something smart they did, Scott. They, since they only had the driver and Amos in the cab of the first truck together, it was just the two of them on the way back. Yeah, they partnered up with another crew, so there were two trucks traveling, and this is important because when they were traveling at night. To stay on the safe side, one of the other truckers came out and used a pole, was literally walking in front of the truck with a pole, testing the ice, yeah. and walking forward before waving the truck on. Yeah, a very I, slow process. Again, I think that's the second time they did it. Remember the first time they did it yeah. at night because uh, they just couldn't see what was going on as clearly as you can during the day. But that, that pole probing thing, that, that would completely freak me out, I think, uh, yeah. if they were doing something like that. But... Um, 
I don't know, interesting, interesting journey, really. And, you know, they're, they're drinking from the water right from the river. You know, there are channels that form, you know, so that you can see where they're, um, uh, you know, stopping to replenish, you know, the water they use for cooking, the water yeah. they use in the cab, you know, just getting a drink out of the, this mm-hmm. channel of water that's formed on the road. Um, it's really, it's crazy, but they're getting closer and closer to the end here. And we'll reach the end after a word from our sponsor. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
And we're back. Yeah, and Ben, we had kind of said that we were near the end of the road here, but when they finally got back, <laughs> of course, huge celebration, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, okay, I'm another pun. I get, uh-huh. I get it now. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, they they get back to dry land, big celebration. They're very happy, you know, that they made it. And they have this, they still have kind of a long road journey to make, you know, to get back to the home base. Uh, as we said, you know, it's like, what, 50%? Ice road, fifty percent, uh, you know, standard road. Really, this whole mm-hmm. this whole trip, you know, round trip. Uh, but they noticed that uh, off the side of the road, there was someone that was pulling um, a truck, a lot like theirs, off the off the um, well, out of a ravine. Maybe that's a better way yeah, to say it. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that the the truck had plunged right off of a cliff, and I, I think it killed the driver on impact. So you know, it's another fatality on the ice road, or sort of on the ice road. It's the road to the ice road, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's da- it's dangerous all around. It's not just the ice. It's also the road that gets you there. You know, the uh, the snow covered road that's out in the middle of nowhere. Also dangerous, maybe even more dangerous than the ice road. Who knows? And on March eighth, twenty sixteen, they hit solid ground. Yeah, off the ice, rolling back, roll, rolling back, homeward bound. Right. Finally. And this is the thing. Uh, Amos is done with the run, and he's he's going back to where he lived at the time. But Ruslan, the driver, is going to spend a couple days in town, and then. Drive back up to Balayagora, and you would spend the summer there. Okay, I have a note here at the end of this uh, this article that I, I I'm glad you said this because I was going to bring this up anyways. I cannot believe after what I just read that this guy is going to spend a few days in the town that he's in, and then he's going to head back onto that same road, knowing that conditions are only going to get worse. So what's he up against on the next route? Because I think his next trip is a one way trip, right? He spends uh-huh. the he spends the time in that distant village. You know, the summer months, and then he jumps back on the road again in the winter, and that's where he makes all his money. But, um, what is he thinking going back on that road again for that? I mean, another five day journey yeah. across ice that was already several days before that soft, you know, too soft, really. Well, he, it, it appears that first off, this is nothing new to him, and he understands the terrain very well. Yeah. But it, it's a, it's a dodgy thing, you know, uh, but you're risking it all. I mean, you're not yeah. only risking your livelihood with your truck, you know, because I mean that's it's going to be expensive no matter what. Let's say it goes under and you somehow can get it out, which I don't know if a lot of them get out. Right. Um, but let's say that you can get the truck out. It's still an expensive repair, or it's a complete loss. And that's your livelihood. But even worse case, you lose your life. And probably one of the most infamous brutal calculations of that sort. Also occurs in Russia. This is one of the things that I found fascinating, and I want to war- warn you, ladies and gentlemen, that so it gets pretty morbid. Uh, during the siege of Leningrad, which lasted for 29 months, from September 1941 to January 1944, over a million people in the city died from starvation, exposure bombs, but one of the only ways that the people who did survive, survived. I mean, this was nasty, Scott. People resorted to cannibalism. You know, can I tell you something? Yeah. You said, uh, you know, the number, the million people, right? Yeah. Of that million people, only 3% died from the bombing, which is what you would, you would think it would be a much greater number. Right. 97% of that was from starvation. And the only reason that so many people survived was because of an ice road route called the Road of Life. And it was across Lake Ladoga. 
and it was the only access to the city uh, while the German army and the Finnish defense forces maintained the perimeter for the siege. But the problem was, with so many people depending on this one route for everything, food, supplies, medicine, um, escape, escape as well, People drove on the, uh, pe- people drove on it knowing that they were, in some cases, attempting a suicide mission. Yeah. People hopped on with the idea that even just the possibility of getting food to civilians was worth, in, in some cases, the overwhelming odds. Yeah, they knew there was a slim chance that they were ever even going to make it. But, uh, yeah. but they went for it. They, they persevered. And, uh, and actually, the road of, I mean, they call it the road of life. Yeah, uh, this ice road, and it, it was re- it, honestly it was very beneficial to the area. Of course, I mean it saved it saved so many people. Um, well, over five hundred fifty thousand people were evacuated on the road of life in just one hundred and fifty two days between nineteen forty one and nineteen forty two alone. That's the first year of the of the, um, of the German blockade. Um, but in 1942, there was another, uh, in the, the remainder of 1942, there was another 540,000 people that were evacuated, uh, via boat crossing. So, um, you know, that, that, that part of the, uh, uh, the lake, I guess, was, was critical for them to, to escape. Um, and between 1940, the end of 1942 and 1943, um, I mean, I guess over the span of 1942 and 1943, the ice road was open for a total of 101 days, and uh, I think something like 89,000 people left at that time, too. So uh, the number of people that escaped were great, mm-hmm. but, man, the number of people that died in this in this blockade or because of this blockade of Leningrad, uh, just staggering number of people, a million people. Can you imagine? No, it's Inc- haunting. Incredible. And the... The only reason that what worked actually worked was because the Finnish forces were not completely dedicated to enforcing this this massive war crime. So what they did instead was they intentionally left the supply route open so that people could make it. But one thing we didn't add is that these truck convoys, and they were sending people across on horses, man. Yeah. Uh, the trucks and the horses didn't just have to worry about safety on the ice. They also had to worry about aircraft and artillery because the German forces were coming down hard. As the, as the young folks would say, they were hard on the paint. The, oh, the bombing didn't stop. That's no. what you mean to say, right? I mean, yeah. guys, honestly, like... Uh, I. It's great the finish allowed you know allowed this to happen you know that uh, they kept it open um, you know allowing people to have just a, a glimmer of hope I guess in this dire situation because it lasted a long time we said it lasted what was it three three and a half years something like yeah. that uh, that's just an, an, an twenty nine months an yeah. insane amount of time uh, to be going through something this difficult I mean I'm completely understating this I understand but. Mm-hmm. Um, you really, if you want to read up on that uh, on that time frame or that time period, and when, what happened there, as Ben said, it gets really macabre fast. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, cautious with that if you're if you're squeamish about it. But um, yeah, people resort to uh, whatever they had to do in order to survive. I will uh, I will mention one thing that is impressive from a engineering perspective mm-hmm. is. Lake Ladoga is one of the largest lakes of its kind in the whole European continent. 
And in addition to being enormous, it's uh, 136 miles long, 86 miles wide. Yeah. I mean, that's it's a huge length to drive. Yeah. Uh, it also has unpredictable weather conditions. It's notorious for that. So people thought it would be impossible to create this until people had to, to survive. Yeah. And the ingenuity there um, tremendously impresses me. And I keep thinking about what what it must be like to have to make that decision, you know? Yeah, to head out, head out onto the ice mm-hmm. uh, in the first place. I mean, it, it's a matter of uh, saving other people. It's a matter of, uh, you know, bringing back people, you know, rescuing people, uh-huh. uh, bringing supplies, you know, whatever it would be. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of decisions that go into this. But, are, again, you know, war brings out the best and the worst of people. And I think, uh, yeah. you know, in this case, it brought out the best in a lot of people that were coming from the Finnish side um, over to... Uh, you know, Leningrad to, you know, do what they, whatever they could to, to help the cause, you know, to, uh, yeah. you know, anything at all possible. And again, putting every, everything that they had at risk. Everything. And let us not forget that people are still doing that today. Every year, uh, small towns across the planet, villages, you know, isolated communities rely on these transportation routes. So we want to, Scott and I want to, Doff our caps in respect uh, to some of the most accomplished and I, I'll say it badass drivers around. Yeah, definitely. I mean, these guys are true cowboys, still, right? I yeah. mean, uh, you know, like the, like the guy uh, Ruslan headed back out, you know, when he knew the ice was thin. Uh, but but that's just what he does. I mean, that's that's his lifestyle. He doesn't know anything different, I suppose. Maybe uh, he's probably grown up with this. You know, I don't know if yeah. his what his dad did or whatever. But um, if this is something he's done for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, then he just knows it. He's confident with it, and he's he's okay with the risks as well as the rewards. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening, and let us know if you have experience uh, as an ice road driver. You know whether that's transport for civilian goods, whether you did it in the military, perhaps. Uh, we'd like to hear about your experience firsthand. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we're Car Stuff HSW, and that's where you can also find this article, which we'll post on the Twitter. Uh, I just said on the Twitter. I sound like somebody's grandfather. <laughs> Put it on the Twitter. Put it on the Googler. Put it on the Googler. <laughs> oh, I'm getting closer and closer every day, man. Um, but. Before I lapse into full-time delirium, you can also write to us directly if you have a suggestion for a topic we should cover in the future. We are Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.